Marissa Lee here, and I'm so excited to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. In these episodes, our brilliant lineup of guests will include healthcare practitioners, voice educators, and other professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to empower you to live your best life. Whether you're a member of the voice community or beyond, your voice is your unique gift. It's time now to share your gift with others, develop a positive mindset and become the best and most authentic version of yourself to create greater impact. Ultimately, you can take charge. It's time for you to live your best life. It's time now for A Voice and Beyond. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. How many of us have been told that we can't sing, or that we can't hold a tune in a bucket, or just being told, please don't sing? Whether we hear this from a family member, a singing teacher, or as I did from a choral director when I was at high school, this kind of discouragement can potentially silence many who will choose never to sing again. In this episode, our guest is Lenore Oren, who is a singing teacher from Amsterdam, who didn't sing until she was 21 years old because of the impact of her father's words and actions as a child when he relentlessly and unknowingly pushed her away from singing. Lenore shares with us how she finally discovered the joy of singing. However, once she launched into her performance career as a professional opera and musical theatre singer, she discovered that she suffered terribly from performance anxiety as a consequence of these childhood experiences. Lenore tells us how these lived experiences ultimately led her into a teaching career where she has developed a specific training program called Sing Well. Her teaching philosophy behind the program has been inspired from a need to help other singers overcome all the obstacles she has been confronted with on her journey of discovering her own voice. Lenore also has a popular YouTube channel with millions of views from almost 60,000 subscribers and she talks about one particular video where she conducted a social experiment with approximately 20 willing participants. She asked people in a local park how many of them had been told they could not sing and the consequences this had on them ever singing again. The results are surprising and to hear what happens, you must listen to this episode with Lenore Oren. So without further ado, let's go to today's episode. there, Lenore Oren, all the way from Amsterdam. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? 
Yeah, really good. Thank you. Now, I believe you've just had COVID. I did. It's been quite mild and manageable, but I still have a little bit of a... (laughs) So yeah, to all students out there, please don't imitate my voice right now. Yeah. And I'm going to share something too. I actually have COVID right now. (laughs) And yeah, and I'm still testing positive, but I'm here. There's no one around me. So I'm not, I'm spreading the love, but I'm not spreading the germs. But you know, this is. And you're just like a serene powerhouse. There is not like you don't see anything on your face and like your energy looks impeccable. I tell you what, that's what being in the industry for over 45 years does to you. You learn the show goes on and it does go on. Bury everything. And you bury everything and then you get off stage and you die in a fetal position somewhere in the corner and sob sob uncontrollably. No, (laughs) that's very dramatic. But anyway, Lenore, it's about you. Now, you're a singing teacher from Amsterdam. Your business is Sing Well and you teach across all styles mainly pop styles and musical theatre, yet you come from a classical background. And I'm so excited to talk to you because it's lovely to get a European perspective. Most of the perspectives that we have out there are usually from the US or the UK and there's some of us here in Australia, but to have someone representing and waving the flag for Europe is fantastic. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I do have to rein a little bit of that on that parade because I don't feel I can presume to represent the European perspective so well because I come from Israel. Mm -hmm. So I'm more of a Mediterranean when it comes to temper and personality, I suppose. But also when I moved to Europe, I did study with an American teacher. (laughs) But I also studied with other teachers and some of them were European. So I do have that perspective. I know a little bit of of the, you know, the trends, especially in the opera world and how they differ from the American approach to opera. You know, they have different typecasting sort of like fashions. So those are really different in Europe than they are in the U.S. Well, it's lovely to have your perspective anyway. I do want to ask a question. Seeing as you were born in Israel, you did move to Berlin, which I know about. We're going to talk about that. I did. Now you're in Amsterdam. You had an American teacher. So my question is, if you were in Beijing right now in the Winter Olympics, what country (laughs) would you represent? (laughs) Oh. I think everybody would think I'm Spanish, then probably Spain. Really? Yeah, I, I get that a lot. I get that too. But I do yeah, have I can Spanish, see even though I'm Italian, but I do have Spanish <laughs> ancestry too, and the Italians don't think I'm Italian anyway. When I go to Italy, they think I'm Spanish, so I don't know. I would fly yeah. the Australian flag. Anyway, let's get started. Yeah, I would be happy to represent the Netherlands if they would have me. Mm-hmm. I would be happy to represent any country, but I always feel like I'm not really attached to geography. I'm really like wherever I am, I need to do my thing and I need to have my people 
and I don't really care where I am. Good That's on how you. I feel. Yeah, good on you. All mm-hmm. right. You grew up in Israel. Now, was singing culturally accepted over there? Yeah, singing as in singing for fun. Or do you mean singing professionally? Yeah, even professionally, for fun, professionally. And what kind of music were you listening to when you were growing up? Yeah, my parents would listen to all these, you know, a lot of 60s and 70s music, a lot of Beatles and a lot of Israeli music from that time. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I grew up on. The classical music came a little bit later when I was around eight or nine. We had a neighbor, which we're still friends to this day with, with his family. Very, very strong connection. And his daughter is my best friend. And he is a musician. And he was sort of like nudging me in the direction of, of taking a recorder lessons at first and then piano lessons, then going into music schools. So I had my own kind of culture, <laughs> I guess, private culture to train as a musician. But in general... There is not a lot of opportunities for for professional musicians and singing in Israel. Well, it's a small country. They are in Eurovision. Yes. Yeah, we are in the Eurovision and we love, you know, we love singing as an entertainment. We sing in the holidays all the time. and, And we have those reality TV shows. We have The Voice. We used to have, we had this show called The Next Star or Star is Born, something like that. Yeah. So people love that in Israel, but they don't really necessarily think, oh, this is something that people do as, you know, as a living. But as a child, you didn't sing. Now, there's a very interesting story that you shared with me. So as much as there was all this music around you, you actually would not sing. So do you want to share the story about the impact of your father's actions? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I did share it on my about page, so I'm not doing it here. So my dad has a very, very big passion for specifically my singing for some reason. I'm the eldest and he just realized at some point that he liked my voice and he wanted me to sing. And when, whenever I started being self-conscious, I would decline. He would tell me sing. And I would say no. And he did that a little bit obsessively. (laughs) So he would sometimes in a car turn the radio off and say, "Okay, now you sing something. Or he would, you know, come to me and say, like, sing me something. And that's not how it works, Dad. I don't want to do this right now. Yeah. So I felt like the spotlight was really on me and it made me very shy and very nervous. And it just. It became a little bit of a snowball. Like the more I resisted to sing to him, the more he would like wait for it to happen. One time I asked him, like, why why are you like even on my on my nerves about it? Like, I, I never sing. So why do you say that you want me to sing? Like, why do you even think that I have a good voice? Because he would keep saying, but you have such a good voice, but you sing so nicely. How do you know? I haven't sung like forever. And he said, I hear it in your laughter. Looking back, that was amazing to me because he has no training of any kind, not in singing and not in music at all. Mm. It was just something he picked up on. And I think he has this passion, this hidden passion for singing himself. He likes singing just, you know, for the lulls, but he also grew up knowing that he can't sing. 
because that's what people told him. And that's also a very big part of, of how I approach singing right now. I'm a little bit allergic to people saying I can't sing or this person cannot sing because all it takes is just a music teacher telling you when you're seven that you have no talent mm-hmm. based on what? I don't know. And it turned out to not be true. My dad has a really nice voice and he doesn't even sing out of tune. He does sing out of tune when my mom sings and he tries to match her key and it's not in his yeah. range. Yeah. So his voice just finds a way in the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's something that happens a lot, right? To a lot of people. And then they say, oh, I, I can't sing. I sing out of tune. But it could just not be the key <laughs> for your that's voice. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to unpack yeah. a couple of things here. When you were growing up and your father was telling you to sing and it got to a, what you believe to be an obsessive place, did you feel that he was trying to shame you? No. No. What, so what was the story or the narrative that was going through your head when the more you resisted, the more he pushed? That's a good question. It was clear to me that he did it out of love. Okay. It was clear to me that he did it because he really wanted me to sing, because he loved my voice, because he loved me. It was never from a mean place, but it really, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And we talked also a little bit about why that was. It has to do with the fact that I I felt like I was taking an attention from someone else. So you, in your mind, when you were singing, you were taking the spotlight away from someone else. So you felt as you were finding your own voice, you were silencing another's. Yes, that's what I felt. Like if I get the spotlight, if I get the love, then maybe my siblings wouldn't. But yeah, I I totally beat myself up. It was a little lifetime that I wasted. And that's also one of the things that makes me passionate right now about people saying that they don't dare to or they don't don't think they can do it. You are wasting your time. Mm -hmm. And we can waste our time even after we decide to learn singing. We find ways to waste time when we can be awesome instead. Then you start performing and you discover yeah. you have performance anxiety. So another obstacle. It sounds yeah. like to me there was a lot of self-sabotage going on. Yep. So yeah, it, probably. It a, a perfectionism thing? What was your biggest obstacle when it came to performance anxiety? I think for me, it, it was multiple things. It was very... I guess, primitive kind of feeling, like when I, I went on to learn about it and realized that it's an evolutionary kind okay. of fear that made a lot of sense to me. It felt like it was something that it was not even me. And it came, first of all, from that fear of the spotlight. And at first, it was a fear of success. It wasn't the fear of failure, right? It was a fear of success and, and stealing the spotlight and thinking that maybe I'm not good enough for the spotlight. Or, yeah, I'm afraid to make people jealous. That I carried that on for years. Also with colleagues, I would be hesitant to share my successes with them so they're not jealous of me. And so whenever it came to the, like, the moment of truth going on stage, I was like, maybe I don't want to give all of myself here. 
something in me wouldn't dare to do that. So it was a little bit of that. And it was also at a certain point, this expectation, okay, I learned some kind of technique and now it has to happen. I have to do what I learned in the lessons Yes, because without that improvement that I made to my voice, it don't mean a thing. Like it's not, it's not any good. Mm-hmm. And that's a very strong misconception that a lot of people have. And I just, I felt that way. I felt like I'm, it's never good enough. And whenever I find something that is better, there was the immediate expectation that now I'm going to be able to do that all the time. And if I can't do that on stage, and I knew I couldn't do that perfectly on stage yes. because the stage is a different situation then it's no good then I, I then it's a failure yeah well did you seek help for it how did you overcome your performance anxiety so yeah I I didn't really know where to seek help for it I was going to to college at the time and I did at a certain point ask there was one of the teachers gave a lecture there about performance. Uh, we never had a, like a dedicated training for performance anxiety or for mm-hmm. stage skills or anything like that. But then I asked, what do you do? You know, if you go on stage and you feel really nervous and you have your heart, pa- heart pounding and panting and, you know, shaking, what do you do? <laughs> and everybody laughed when I asked that. Because I was considered to be one of the good ones. Yeah. And this is also, it brings me back to the misconception. I mean, the fact that you don't do your best on stage doesn't mean that you're not good. Mm-hmm. So I could give a good show even when I was nervous. But in my mind, I had to get rid of the nerves. I had to like stop being nervous. So he really didn't know exactly what to say but he said one thing that was the essence like the the most important thing that you can say you have to do it anyway and don't (laughs) fight it so that no that was the key point you don't you don't fight the the palpitations and the shaking Mm -hmm. accept them and you move on and that's a very fundamental part of how I eventually got over it because I did what he said and I went on stage anyway when I was feeling nervous, but I needed more tools to not, you know, have that feeling of eventually shutting down. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot, a lot of trial and error. And it was an excruciating journey of many, many years. And eventually I realized, okay, there are some things that I can do. Like I can repeat certain mantras. I can see what I need in the moment like there is one thing that I know that works for me. I always get, go back to that example because it's just for me very, very handy. I tend to build up tension in my shoulders. So okay. if I feel that happening when I get nervous, and of course, that's the first thing that happens, then I just go down. So I already practice that when I practice, right? I already right. practice that numerous times on stage. But just That's my go-to thing, right? So I remind myself that like a mantra, like down, down. And I realized there is a video actually that I talk about that on, on YouTube when I react to my own performance. I really remember what I said to myself while I was on stage, because while I was on stage and it's a recent performance relatively, I still have those thoughts like, oh, that's not, not good. You know, it's 
oh, I'm nervous or, oh, that note was bad. All those things, you know, that you would expect that I would get over them. They're still there, but I have my go-to things. So after a lot of trial and error, I realized, okay, there are some things that I can do on the spot. There are some things that I can do backstage. And there's a whole mentality that is, you don't have to get rid of the nerves. Mm -hmm. You have to know what to do about them. I sort of came up with those things very, very slowly. (laughs) But just to give you like a time scale, so you know what, like how long and terrible it was. From the first time that I started going on stage mm-hmm. until the first time that I felt I had some kind of control over my voice, that I could decide, you know, on the moment what to do with my voice, to express with my voice on stage, mm-hmm. that took three years. Well, wow, that's yeah. a process. Yeah. And until yeah. then, it was still okay when I would go on stage mm. and I would prioritize my expression, I would prioritize, you know, the the narrative and I would sort of like hope for the best with my voice. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) And sometimes be okay, sometimes less, sometimes more, but I never had, like, I could never tell what was going to happen. Do you think that the audience could pick up that you were nervous or was it all in your mind? Maybe a little bit, but not in a bad way, because Very early on, luckily, I and that's because I got inspiration from certain performers that I really like. I saw them and I said, that's the influence that I want to have as a singer um, on my audience. It was very clear to me that the most important thing is to give a good show, to give a good experience to the audience. Mm -hmm. So I would do everything I can to not let the nerves take over me. Like the worst thing is to just make a face when you make a bad, like, oh. or when you, yeah, you when you make a mistake or like, uh, you don't show it because they don't deserve that. Mm. They deserve a show from start to finish. So that was a very important principle that luckily I could implement from the beginning, but I had very bad experiences auditioning. Oh, I didn't really? like it at all. Yeah. It was not a good life for me, just traveling, trying to prove myself. It, it's just something didn't fit yeah. uh, for me as a person to go through that. And also another mistake that I made that I just expected someone to take me under their wings and give me a job. And today I would probably do that differently. I would yeah. also do stuff my on my own. And there's so much stuff you can do. And I can coach other people now that I'm like old and wise. <laughs> Still, my body doesn't like the idea of going and pursuing a performance career because I felt that I was giving so many resources and not getting a lot back. And I felt that it had very little to do with talent and a lot strategy and confidence. I made a lot of mistakes. Do you think that because you went in, you were auditioning for the classical world, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a very tough gig. And yeah, if there was an industry that requires perfectionism, is the classical world. Do you feel yeah. that your road would have been so much easier if it was CCM? Probably. Yeah. 
It's true that technically in opera, you're supposed to have this amazing voice even through the entire range and perfect legato, blah, blah, blah. But actually, I mean, even if I went back and did it all over again and I could give myself advice right now, I would say like it's it's less strict than you think Mm -hmm. in the sense that it doesn't really have to be perfect. You need to maybe give the illusion of perfect or you need to give the atmosphere of the perfect bel canto voice. But everybody makes mistakes, even really, really good opera singers. Sometimes they miss. But if they're good, you know, I call it the nonstop principle in my in my stage course. If you just continue. And one of my favorite examples was Placido Domingo when he went one time sang an aria. And the last note was supposed to be a very high and long note. He ran out of air in the very beginning of the note. So that's like the biggest mistake that everybody like freaks out like this and maybe cracking, like voice cracking is like the big freak out. Yeah. And it happened to him. And I have a friend who sat in the audience when that happened. And she said, it took me a few seconds to realize that it was actually happening that there was actually no voice coming out of his mouth. Yeah, he just continued the the whole (laughs) facade like nothing happened. The eye sees first and the ear follows. And he really created that illusion of, yeah, that was my plan all along to stop that Mm -hmm. note in the beginning. Yes. I just want to know how many people here are actually still awake? I did that on purpose. I was testing oh, yeah, all out <laughs> to see if any one of you was asleep. Exactly. He was just bored. He wanted to <laughs> mess with the audience. That's it. Yeah. We're going to move along. So you went in, you studied voice formally. In 2010, you moved to Berlin where you studied with fantastic opera singer and they had a huge impact on your career. And you became a professional opera singer for some time. Then you moved to Amsterdam. So what was the pull to Amsterdam? Why Amsterdam? (laughs) Good question. Good question. So the credit goes to one of my good friends, uh, Nani Noam Vazana. She's a singer-songwriter, an amazing one, a really fantastic singer. And she's a good friend and she lives in Amsterdam. She would nag me to come visit her relentlessly, really, just nonstop until I said, okay. And it would take her sometimes years. It's like, when are you coming to visit? When are you coming to visit? When are you coming to visit? So the second time I went to visit her, it was just after I had a big breakup. My boyfriend at the time decided to pack all my things and email me that he packed my things and just basically threw me out to the street. And two months after that, that's a, a very long story, but uh, <laughs> the best thing that has ever happened to me. That's and, the second worst breakup I've ever heard about. The other one okay. was on Sex in the City and one of the girls was dumped by a post-it note. This is your story. I just wanted to throw that in. (laughs) Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, it was horrible. But I I just have to say, as horrible as it was, the only way it gave me is forward. I thought I was going to have babies with that guy. But once he did something like that, and I think he did that on purpose, by the way. I think he did that out of love. Yeah. He was going like, I'm going to be the bastard here. Yeah. And you're going to hate me and you're going to never want to take me back. And that's exactly what happened. 
I never had those periods where like, oh, I wish we could get back together. That was dead. No. Imagine if you had babies and he tried to pack the babies and put them in the street with the luggage. (laughs) (laughs) That that would not have been good. (laughs) Well, you know what? At least he would have done that immaculately because he was very uh, organized. He He must have been a Virgo. You know, I forgot his birthday. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. That means he's wiped. That's all right. Continue yeah, with yeah. your story. But I still, yeah, I still feel that, yeah, he did me a, a really good service dumping me like that. Hmm. So two months after that, I went to Amsterdam to visit my friend and I was on a dating mode because that was my therapy <laughs> at that uh, point. Yeah. So I went on shamelessly, I'm going to say, I went on OkCupid and I messaged a few guys. I'm like completely shameless. Is that like Tinder? It's more in depth than Tinder. So you have a whole profile, you know, everything about the person you answer like multiple questions. They have an algorithm, blah, blah, blah. But you swipe. No, you don't swipe. No, you you can like people or something like that. And then you see if they like you back or something Mm -hmm. and you can also message them. And so I messaged a few guys and my husband, Eric, was just uh, on his bed taking a nap and then he heard this and he's like should I answer it should I know and then he answered it and here we are oh oh that's a happy story yeah yeah we started with the suitcases on the street and we've ended up with a happy story (laughs) yeah no my life right now I could not have had that amazing family that I have right now I he's the most fantastic husband I have two kids it was my dream to have kids. Oh. I'm like, I couldn't be more grateful. That's amazing. That's beautiful. I'm very happy yeah. for you. And now you have Thank this you. fabulous studio as well in Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, I'm not in Amsterdam anymore, but oh. I teach in Amsterdam. Right. Okay. Uh, I also teach here. So I live in Utrecht now. We just recently moved. You couldn't mm-hmm. have known. Well, and we- I still go to Amsterdam to teach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have a choir too. Okay. So how did you develop your teaching approaches to the voice? Uh, through blood, I think. Yeah. <laughs> blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. I was going to say, that sounds um, really messy. I'm, I'm over-dramatizing it. Yeah, I think it was both all the mistakes I made and all the mistakes that were made with me and the hardship that I went through that, of course, taught me there is another way. That basically gave me a few of my core principles as a teacher, but it was also just a general passion for teaching. I've had that always. I've always had a a talent for teaching. And I felt like if I understand something, I can explain it to someone. And what happened is that when I started doing that in the beginning, I more and more, I started seeing my own problems on the students. And the next step was that I realized I can do something about it. I can help that student. And the next step after that was that means that I can take my own advice and I can also teach myself because I already know a bunch of stuff. Yes. And that's what eventually made me a good singer, like really professional level singer. I had to snap out of the student mode mm-hmm. to be able to to really like own what I what I have. You do have a method, too, that you use as well. So how that all came together was bits and pieces from a number of different places, some 
maybe some of your own experiences, which you just said. And I know that you do have a bachelor. Okay. Was that in vocal pedagogy? No, it was just in vocal, in classical singing. Funny enough, we didn't have pedagogy. And they have it now in the college that I went to. We didn't have pedagogy for singers. Right. Because the voice teachers were like, but that will mess up with my teaching method. Mm-hmm. Don't teach them pedagogy. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, to, to your question, it was, it was in bits and pieces. So I started learning that, you know, from my experience, that way doesn't work. That way does work and experimenting with the students. And then I realized there can be a, a methodical way of doing things. And first and foremost, I realized that one should focus on one thing at a time. Yes. Because what I what I realized from my training was that I had this amazing teacher that taught me all the technique that I know, but that was exactly what she did. She taught me all the techniques she knows all at the same time. So I would go for a lesson. I would get this golden, you know, amazing technique. I would go home and I was like, oh, this is good. This is good. Let's continue with that. And I would come to her and I was like, can we keep doing that thing? Because that really helped me. And she's like, yeah, sure. And then she would move on to something completely different because that's how she is. That's, you know, different teachers work different ways. And she would be like, I'm just on the wave of working on the jaw right now. I'm just doing that with all of my students. Hey. So I would get the knowledge and get the knowledge and get the knowledge and I would have no time to process. And eventually I, I had to just not come for a lesson for a while. It was like, okay, thank you. Five weeks at home. <laughs> then come back. So that's when I realized that I started taking notes with my students. And I started like remembering, okay, we did that. And that worked. So we're going to continue with that. (laughs) And, you know, you described this when it worked, you described this, so I'm going to remind you of that. So really like staying on point. So I learned that just combination of my experience and experience with the student. And eventually all those bits and pieces came a little bit together mm-hmm. when I decided to make an online course. And so that really sort of like forced me to put it all on paper and just like make a, make a plan. And then I realized, oh, I, I have a method, actually. It could be systematic, right? Yeah, a methodology. <laughs> so what you described yeah. earlier, though, you said that as a student comes in and something works for them, you work with them with that one thing because it works for them. So to me, that sounds like a very student-focused approach to teaching. So you're working with the special Mm -hmm. needs of that individual student. So how does that then translate to a methodology? I'm assuming by what you're saying that week one is this and week two is that. And if all the students' needs are different, are you still applying that same approach? So I don't really work with with the time, like syllabus kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but I have the principles of practice and I have my practice structure. And then there are all those things that you can do about improving your technique and that's where it's customized. So in my my course... I have this huge module when we go through the body parts one by one and and releasing tension or whatever we need to do with that part of the instrument. I tell the students, you don't go through the whole thing. You don't do that. 
you send me a video first and then I tell you, you need to go to this and this and this if that's what you focus on right now. Okay, so it is customized because the problem with a lot of methodologies is that every student is treated the same, but you do customize it because so what you're saying is if something's not broken, you're not going to try and fix it. You leave it alone. Something's working. At least well. not at the moment. Yeah, leave at it least alone. not at the moment. Mm. And also, the, the, do you know the concept of bright spots? No. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I didn't make it up. But there's a book called Switch when they talk about bright spots, and that's right. basically something that already works. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to solve a big problem, you take that one thing that works and you duplicate it. So someone did that in Vietnam. They were expected to solve the malnutrition in kids in six months. So <laughs> they were like, how can I do that in six okay. months? And there is, a sanitary, there is a sanitary issue there. There is a poverty issue there. There's so much stuff, you know, that takes way longer than six months to do. So what they did is they went over the, all of the families. They weighed all the children. And the families that had children of proper weight, they asked them what they're doing and they found a pattern. Ah. So okay. they were giving them something specific, like a, it was potato greens to eat. And they were also splitting the meals into four meals instead of two per day, same amount of food. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we don't know if this is the thing, but we're just going to do that with everybody because it works. And it worked. It so worked. It alleviated the problem significantly. Well, wow, amazingly. Okay. So that's a bright spot. If you have something that you can already use, just duplicate that and then learn also what it is, learn how it works. And then you have something that you can control. You have something that you can use whenever you want. And in a way, that's also a waste of time to start tackling a big problem if you have something that already works right now. Yes. So what is your teaching philosophy? So it's difficult to summarize in one bottom line, but one of them is definitely don't waste time. In a sense, don't waste your life waiting to sing. Don't waste your time beating yourself up or judging yourself. All of those things that cannot lead you anywhere, that cannot Mm -hmm. teach you anything. And it's very human to hang on to those things. Yeah. Yeah to self-judgment, self-criticism, and bashing, Mm -hmm. and the disbelief, right? The disbelief in yourself. And like, oh, I'm bad. I'm realistic. I will never sing. Well, well, you'll end up being 70 years old and then doing it anyway, because you love singing. So don't waste your life. Just go for it. Yeah. So that will be my first, my first thing. And the thing about the judgment, I will zoom in on that. And I will Mm -hmm. say, you're not in a position to judge your sound from your within your own head. It's not the sound that is in reality. It's not the sound that people hear. It's a different sound acoustically. So don't waste time on that. Yes. Yeah. You want to go with the mechanism, how you feel in the throat, how you're doing the technique. You have, you know, you have your one element that you're focusing on. How did you do with that? So I, I work really focused one thing at a time. And I work with what happened. How can we fix it? I work with numbers on scale of one to 10. You no, know, you give it a, a number 
by the way, that's the only stage in the work when I want people to be harsh with themselves and not like pat themselves on the back. Give me a low number on scale of one to 10 because then the 10 is better. So that's one of my basic principles. And then the other principle that I work with closely is the body work. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that you can sing well while choking yourself at the same time. Right. Especially muscle tension and then closing the vocal cords, because when you don't close the vocal cords, you also have a form of pressure just by default of air leaking out constantly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that might be like the fault of the of the classical singer. But on the other hand, I tell the student there is nothing wrong with making an airy sound. Mm hmm. But your vocal cords are not going to like it if you do it all the time. Probably not. Yes. And regardless, I want you to be able to choose if you want to do it or not. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing it and to what degree, because there's a spectrum, right? So you want to learn how to close your vocal cords and you want to learn how to keep your instrument free. Mm -hmm. And for that, you need to work with your body. You have to do body work or you don't have a chance. If you have a student that comes to you and everything appears on the outside to be working really well, so there's no tension, the vocal folds are coming together, they're working efficiently, but something's Mm -hmm. wrong with that student, then do you believe that what is going on mentally and emotionally with that student will also impact on the voice? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why part of my course is also the mentality part, both my courses, by the way. The mentality aspect for me, it could, as you say, it could be a psychological thing. It could be something that we can't go into in the lesson, but there is something very practical that we can do about that. So two things come to mind. First of all, what happens when you say, if you have what I call the three moments of hesitation, then that's going to kill whatever technique you want to do. Yeah. The first moment is just the split second before you start singing. So I want to sing something and I go just before. That's the planning. Some people would just think, oh, I'm just getting ready, right? Sometimes we breathe in like (sighs) to get ready. And sometimes we just have this moment of thinking and we don't actually launch the sound. Mm -hmm. So that's what I call the first moment of hesitation. And we have to kill that. Mm -hmm. We have to get rid of it. And the second moment is actually can be multiple moments. While you're singing, there comes the judging. So was that okay? That no, was not. no. And then you don't actually do the thing because you're busy slowing down and you're stopping yourself from doing the technique because you have those, this hesitation. So I like to work with that vocal element in mind. Let's just say it's closing the vocal cords. Let's say we're working with speaking voice. We like, I like to do that for closing the, the vocal cords, right? Yes. So we're thinking speaking voice. You're going to think that in advance before you start, when it's time to sing, go, 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 go. And then after that, there comes the third moment of hesitation. But instead of that moment, I'll talk about that in a second. That's where you can start asking questions. How was it? Start evaluating and you can give yourself a number, scale it up, blah, blah, blah. So the third moment of hesitation is when you go, "Mm, that was not very good. Uh, This day, you know, it's not my day. And then you start bashing yourself. 
And then you yes. start having a hesitation for the long haul. Maybe I'm in the wrong profession. Maybe I'm not in a good, you know, I'm not making good progress. All of this is a waste of time. Okay. I call that self-talk, the negative self-talk. Yes. Yes. I, that drives me insane. It does. It drives, it drove me insane too. Yeah. And I like, I even have yeah. students and I try and knock it on the head as quickly as possible. You know how in the song there may be like four bars of music. They even find that four bars of music even long enough to go, oh, that's rubbish. Yeah. In the middle yeah. of a song, like in between. It verses, can be less than that. Like, yeah. What are you doing? It can be after a few notes. That drives me insane. So that I have a rule, yeah. you're not allowed to talk. No talking no. from the start of the song to the end of the song. Great. I no, love it. No talking. <laughs> Zip it. Shut up and sing. Yeah. That's one of my biggest struggles. It used to be my biggest struggle with myself. And now it's my biggest struggle with my students because you really want to judge yourself. It's, mm-hmm. it's an instinct. And people just really want to do that. And the thing that kills me about it is that it is no function of how good you actually say. I had a student who was 15 years old, a huge, soulful voice. You could cry from it. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And she thought she was crap. Yeah. And she would, after half a phrase, she would literally fall to the ground, like cover her hands with her head. It's like, oh, that was so bad. Oh, and I my had to, gosh. I had to reverse engineer that. And it's very difficult, especially with teenagers. Yes. But yeah, they're right. so self and everything is harsh. If you yeah. tell them, oh, you looked a little bit nervous. That's the worst. Like any shred of self-doubt is it's really hard. So yeah, yeah, all those moments of hesitations, I, I'm getting rid of them with, with tricks. Yeah, because you can convince yourself that, oh, you, I am worth it or I will have a career, but you're not going to really believe it in the moment, maybe. Mm-hmm. So you need to fake it till you make it, which is another one of my mottos. Yeah. And what you yeah. don't know, you make up. That's one of my exactly. mottos too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you need to do something about it right now. Then you will see the results and then you will start believing it exactly. when it works. Yeah. Yeah. I want to move along to the yeah, interview please. Yeah. in the park. Oh, yeah. Now, you had this idea to go into a park walk up to randoms, like people you did not know, and ask them questions about singing. So I'm going to let you tell (laughs) the listeners the story about you in the park, the crazy woman chasing people around in the park. (laughs) Crazy nine-month pregnant woman (laughs) just approaching them. Pregnant as well. (laughs) Yeah, it it was very, very far along. Okay. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons they agreed to talk to me. I was like, oh, probably she means no harm. <laughs> yeah, she's not going to kill us with a baby in there. <laughs> probably not. So I want to make a story talking to normal people about something that I saw was just a spread phenomenon in my life. And for some reason, more in the Netherlands than in any other place. But it's just universal. When people say that they cannot sing, And they hear that from other people. So we talked about that before. And I just wanted to know exactly how prevalent it was because I just hear the stories that come to me. 
And I just went to the park and I asked people if they had memories of people telling them negative things about their singing. And the vast majority of people said yes. Very, very few of them said that they were encouraged to sing. And a lot of people said, yeah, they said my siblings, my parents, my friends, my girlfriend, you know, they tell me that I that I can sing. And then immediately they go on to. And yeah, I'm not a good singer. So the moment you say something like that to someone, they will believe you and that will be who they are. I'm not a good singer. That's just the way it is. Sorry. Can I just say something that just came to mind then? People won't sing because they've been told that they're a bad singer. Yet how many people are on the roads driving a car and have been told they're bad drivers? It's okay to kill people with your car. You're not going to sing. When you you put it into that, when you talk about it in those terms. I think that's for sure. If I survey. I like that. I'm going to hear that. Yeah, I mean, how many people would you survey who have been told they're bad drivers? Mm. How many people are being told, yeah, I'm a bad driver, and yet they continue to drive, but then they won't sing. But they're not going to hurt anybody with their singing. But maybe they'll sing in the car. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people sing in the car. A lot Mm. of people just sing only in the car because there's nobody listening, right? But yeah, I absolutely, I'm going to steal that because I like that little pep talk there. So you went up to these people. How many people roughly did you interview? I think it was about a couple of dozens, not hundreds. Yeah, yeah, okay. And they're all different age groups, different gender. Yeah, different age groups, different gender. And to my surprise, most of them said that they still sing, they don't mind that they're bad singers which is completely different than the people who come to me for lessons because all of those are traumatized because they were told they were bad singers and now they want to correct, do some kind of therapy with that and maybe find their voice somehow. But those people were like, yeah, I know I'm not good, but I'm still going to sing. I don't care. Yeah. It surprised me. Yeah. It surprised me. But then immediately it made me ask out loud, what would those people do if they thought they were good? If they sing so freely and they enjoy their singing so much, thinking that they're bad, what would happen if they had encouragement? What could they have done with their voices? In my experience, by the way, if we want to talk about this objectively, my experience with people who say that they can't sing, they almost are never correct. Yeah. I mean, and when they are correct, they're only correct for now, but they can still work on it and improve. And eventually they can. I've never met a single person who couldn't improve their voice. Mm -hmm. I've never met a single person who couldn't correct their pitch. I've never met a single person who couldn't learn that. Mm -hmm. So that's the objective truth from my studio in the past 20 years. I'm not saying that I'm a scientist and I I know everything. Yes. But I had some difficult cases in my in my studio. Really? What's an example yeah. of one? One of my favorite examples is someone who came with his girlfriend. It was so cute. They wanted to sing karaoke together. So that was their sort of like together activity to come for a singing lesson together. Mm-hmm. And she was she used to be a choir singer. She had a nice voice. She was musical. 
And we just had to work on the quality of her voice, which, you know, we always do. But he was like a ton of bricks. He was very, very rigid. He had a very bad posture. And he didn't have a single memory of himself singing, not even as a kid. Wow. So no experience singing and very, very limited instrument. So obviously everything that came out of his mouth was out of tune at the moment. Yeah. And very rough, raspy, everything, like all the issues in the book were there. And so what I did, and that's usually what I do, by the way, when someone sings out of tune, is ignore it. I, I just ignored the fact that he was singing on a tune. I didn't ask him to correct it. Uh-huh. I didn't tell him, you know, did you, did you notice that this was the wrong note? No, not, none of that. We just worked on the body and we worked on breathing and we just, I corrected the technique basically. And then we did this after a few lessons, he suddenly had a little bit of practice for his brain following the piano because he's never done that. He's never sure. sang anything, right? Let alone match, you know, with the piano. And lo and behold, a few, uh, after a few lessons, he could do it. Incredible. Yeah. And it's not like it was just a flip of a switch and he never sang out of tune ever, but he started following the piano. Mm-hmm. And when there was a problem, it was usually a technical problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's either a technical problem when you sing out of tune or it's an awareness problem. Yes. But yes. both of those can be trained in my experience. And sometimes the awareness problem is at the level of the vocal cords. The vocal cords don't know that they can stretch this far. So just a little bit of sliding, you know, mm-hmm. is going to show them, oh, mm-hmm. oh, you just did that. You just went to a high note. Mm-hmm. It was just not on a certain pitch, but your vo- vocal cords can do it now. And then lo and behold, they can sing higher notes. Yes. You said that you've, never come across a singer can't sing or doesn't improve have you ever had a student and I know I have who has come to you they're not the most talented singer but in their mind they are a brilliant singer and they think they're going to have a big career like and be the next Adele I mean I know what you mean so some people just have that more naturally. Yes. They, they can do it more easily. They can uh, sing in tune more easily. They have a natural like ring to their voice uh, naturally. But because I thrive on solving those kind of puzzles, I don't really make that judgment in the beginning. It's like, okay, here's the issue. Now let's see how we can fix it, right? How, let's see how we can yank that voice out of them. I had this student who really... She really has big dreams for herself and she wants to be a celebrity singer and she's not there yet at all. But I'm not going to say she's not talented. I actually think she has a good voice. She doesn't know how to use it quite well yet, but she's doing it better and better every day. She's practicing every day. She's doing what I tell her to do. She makes progress. What else do you want? Right? So I really think that. I'm not the one who will say, here is my crystal globe and this person is not going to be a famous singer. Mm -hmm. You don't know that. That's And you don't know if they're going to be successful or not. Yeah. And it's another form of of a wasted time for me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell them what I see. I'm going to tell them what they can work on. And if she comes and tell me, do you think I'm ready for the voice? 
I'll tell her what I think. I think you're ready for this and this and this. Maybe not for the voice, but if you really want to, you can go ahead and try. From what I know, they're very quick to judge. They're yes. not going to analyze yes. the voice and they're not going to be gentle and they're not going to be nice about it. No, that's certainly true. But so- that, does, that is not to say that you're not going to be successful and that mm-hmm. is not to say that you're not going to be a good singer. And the thing is having that open mind and having that beautiful attitude of just wanting the singer to blossom and to be their best and to encourage them, they're always going to improve. That mentality that a lot of people have been trained in, that you go to the lesson and you get constant critique after critique after critique and you get the wind knocked out of you every lesson. I don't believe that's the way to teach either, but a lot of us, not me, but a lot of especially my generation, were taught that way. Yeah, I had had teachers who were that way, yeah. And I think that if I want to give them credit, what is behind it is, well, the industry is so difficult that they need to, you know, they need to be very resilient and they need to not be discouraged. If If you've seen Whiplash, the movie, It's about a teacher who is an a-hole. He's screaming at his students and he's just trying to discourage them on purpose to see if they stick around. Mm -hmm. And so eventually one of his students sort of like rebelled against him and showed him, yeah, I'm not afraid of you. But then he also proved him right. Yeah. If you really are meant to be a musician, you will not get discouraged. That's yeah. It's a very like all or nothing approach to yeah. me. There yeah. are many things that you can do with your voice. There are many types of career. There are many ways for you to actually make a living with your voice. It doesn't have to be Beyonce. You don't have to be at La Scala or at West End. There are many ways that you can do this. And not everybody is meant to be screamed at and still you know, come out the other end and, and be a superstar. Exactly. And then you miss all of this joy mm-hmm. and you miss all of this opportunity and you miss on the personality growth that comes with learning how to sing. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I'll tell you even more. I'll tell you something more. Even if someone ends up not singing well in the standards, some people will call them a bad singer. That is not to say they will not become successful singers because we know just at the top of our heads mm. of a few examples of people who are professional singers, but they don't sing very well. The conviction comes first. Yes. Now you have a YouTube channel and yeah. I went and did a little bit of stalking today. I, I was telling you before we started this interview, it's called a classical, is it opera singer's reaction? to listening to Freddie Mercury for the first time. Yeah, not for the first time, but just reacting to Freddie Mercury. Okay. And it goes for 15 minutes and it's you literally listening to him in live concert singing Somebody to Love and your idea behind this video was to, to stop and give your opinion and look at ways I think you're looking at ways to maybe to help or to say, or, you know, if he had have done this, this might have been a bit more helpful or blah, blah, blah. And I found it really funny and not being disrespectful. And we did have a laugh about this. But after 15 minutes, 
you basically go, well, I couldn't find anything wrong with it. I don't know if I'm even going to bother uploading this video because it's a waste of time. I mean, he's actually <laughs> really good. Yeah, so thanks for the memories. You uploaded anyway and it's had nearly 4 million views. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So it's crazy. I mean, I was yeah. even sitting there waiting for you to say something <laughs> more than what you were saying. I could see you like oh, getting excited. A couple of times <laughs> I saw the opera singer going like a little bit of a dance. <laughs> yeah. And no, it just, it hit me right here. That that was one of the best performances of Queen that I've ever seen. And yeah, I, I sort of had that, like you say, I had that idea in my mind that if I see anything that is going wrong, I would point it out. And if I see something good, then I would point that out. And I think I did, did that. You did. Yeah. Very nice. Because I, I want the audience to sort of like pick up on those things when they see a singer and they see, oh, oh they sing so well that they could say, oh, but they're doing this kind of technique and that probably helps the voice that way. So that's mm -hmm. what I wanted to sort of like share in this reaction. And it, it turned out that what people really care about is the actual reaction and to actually see my face and see my emotions when I was watching him and just getting the, the vocal remarks is a bonus along the way. But that's not what people care about. I have a lot of fans who are not, you know, really interested in, in voice training in any way, but they really like seeing reactions. Like mm -hmm. it's a thing. So, so it's, you, it's a human thing. It's a human connection. So you have a number of these videos. Yeah. And they, they have yeah. like hundreds of thousands of downloads or views. Yeah, it, it, depends on, it depends on who I react to, but they vary from uh, a few thousand to a few millions. It depends on uh, the popularity, I guess, uh, so of the where, singer. Where did this idea come from? It really came from the geeky place because I'm analyzing singers all the time in my head. And I'm trying to pick up on what they're doing that is good. And sometimes I do that in, in lessons as well. Like I want to I wanna see, I want to show a, a student how good it is when you have a good posture or how, how beneficial it is when you open the jaw. Like people think they open the jaw, but they're not really doing it, yeah. right? So it's yeah. like, no, this is how a normal singer is opening the jaw. Look, mm -hmm. it's at least that uh -huh. and it looks normal so don't think that it does that it looks weird or something so that it came from that just showing on a celebrity what they're doing well and just to show from the technical aspect yeah. because i am really fascinated by those things myself yeah. and then i went and, and watched uh, bohemian rhapsody on, uh, on the cinema and i i've had that idea of doing a reaction video for a while of doing exactly that and I tend to sit on my ideas for months on end and not doing anything about them. And then my husband, bless his heart, <laughs> just sat me down one day, took the camera. It's like, OK, we're going to react to something right now. What's it going to be? And I said, oh, OK, well, let's let's do the Live Aid concert from from the movie because I heard about it. And I heard that, that he was sick on that day. I heard all kinds of yes, rumors. Yes. And I wanted to yes. see if I could pick up on it. I was interested in, in seeing like what one of the biggest shows, the greatest shows in history. How was that really like vocally for Freddie? And so we did that. 
and that went viral. And then the video after that of somebody you love went even above above that. So when you did these videos, did you think, oh, people are going to watch them? I mean, what, did it surprise you that it went Not at this so level. viral? It did surprise me. I did not expect it to go viral. I thought that it will help me probably with with my portfolio, with my website, and maybe like slowly it will also get some views. Back then I only had a few uh, of my singing videos, which are very old. And that's basically all I had on my channel. And they had a few hundred views, you know, from people that I sent it to and auditions and Mom, stuff like that. Dad, 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 dad. <laughs> 5,000 yeah. views is dad. He's making up for all those 21 <laughs> years. <laughs> yes. Oh. But I have a funny anecdote about it if you have time. But Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So my first solo ever in, in my college years, I didn't invite my parents because it was just one line when I was singing solo and it was sort of like a student project, whatever. And I, I didn't want to invite them. I didn't feel ready. And it was just not, you know, it was in a different city. I just didn't invite anyone, but I did record it. So I went back and I let my dad listen to the recording and I knew in advance exactly how he's going to react every step of the way. And that's exactly what happened. So it was really funny. At first, it was uh, the intro of the orchestra. So he listens for three seconds and is like, I think this is the wrong track. You're not singing here. <laughs> Wait a moment. <laughs> it's coming. And then after, I think, 45 seconds, I start singing. It's like, oh, here you are. Oh, you sound like an angel. You sound like on a CD. Oh, it sounds like a radio. Oh, it's so beautiful. I predicted exactly that. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so good. So good. Wow. Yeah. And then after 30 seconds, I finish singing and there is another soloist. Oh, that's not you anymore. Okay, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, well, to be fair, I would have done the same thing if it was my daughter. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, um, so we're going to yeah. wrap this up. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. There's, We've had a little oh, bit of same. fun here. Some fun stories there too. And Very fun stories. So what are you up to now? What what's your next well, project, or is there another YouTube video being uploaded soon? Yeah, so actually, I can't believe I'm I'm saying this now because that now it means that I have to do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I thought you know a little bit of peer, healthy peer pressure from you and other voice teachers out there mm-hmm. that I wanted to have a podcast as well. So that's my next project. And I decided that I'm going to make it a sing-along podcast. Oh, fun. Yeah. So sometimes I will guide, you know, sort of like a karaoke session. And sometimes I will just sing myself. And I want to sing, hopefully, every single episode I will sing something. And when I have a guest over, I will invite them if they want to sing a duet with me. So it's like car, the car karaoke, but this is podcast karaoke. Good one. Podcast karaoke. I like it. <laughs> you, you get percentage 
Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that's two ideas <laughs> I've given you now. I want my commissions. <laughs> I charge what, What's the other idea? <laughs> About the driver. People tell you about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, okay. The driver one is going to have your name all over it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I'm not going to mention so, it without you. What's the biggest piece of advice you would give to someone? And I know what you're going to say here. Uh, <laughs> who has been told that they can't sing? They're a bad singer, but they want to sing. I would say, ask yourself. First of all, one important question, whose life is it? I wasn't expecting that answer. It's your life. That was a rhetorical question. And then the next question is, what's more important, my life or what other people might think? Mm -hmm. Because you'd, you'd be surprised. Some people were told that they can't sing, but some people were told at one time and that they don't know what the other people think. Mm -hmm. And then they just... Don't sing because they don't want the neighbors to hear them. I was there. I was afraid to sing because I didn't want the neighbors to hear. I didn't want my family to hear. Yeah. What's more important, you or hypothetical opinions? Yes. And I'll go further and say that if in the very unlikely case that everybody thinks you're terrible, you still love singing, what's going to happen is that you're going to waste your time. And then you're going to wake up when you're 60 or 70, and then you're going to find a voice teacher. Because I have that happen to me on a weekly basis. People tell me that they are 40, 50, 60, 70, and they have waited all that while without doing it. So if you're going to do it eventually, might as well just do it now. Because value that there is in singing is... A, about much, so much more than just about the singing. Absolutely. It's you. Your voice is you. And that's why we take it so hard, by the way. Our voice is our body, is our being, is our expression. It's inside of us. There is no, nothing more intimate than that. And that's why it's so scary. Mm. But that's also why it's no, not going to go away. Yes. You're not going to get rid of it. Yes. So just please do yourself a favor and go and, and sing. And if you are struggling, and I've been there, if you're struggling with that fear that people will hear you, fake it till you make it, go through that little painful period when you are uncomfortable, maybe turn off the light. I used to do that. I used to turn off the light in my room and close the door and pretend like a child that I'm the only one there <laughs> because I knew that I had to get used to that feeling of people hearing me and it's going to pay off if you're going to be more and more comfortable with it and you're going to feel the benefits of it and this is for you and if you're not going to do it now you're going to do it later so might as yeah. well do it now yeah beautiful answer okay Lenore you have been so kind and so generous with your time and all your knowledge and your wisdom we really appreciate you we're going to I appreciate share. you oh thank you we're going to share your links in the show notes so people can go and have a look at your YouTube videos. And I recommend that people go and do that. It is a lot of fun as well. It's and, fun. It's fun. And, yeah, and all your resources. And, look, we wish you the very best for 2022. Have a fabulous year in yeah. Amsterdam. Back at and, you. And we'll look forward to 
hearing the karaoke podcast and I've already got my song picked. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. No pressure for having me on. Yeah. No, I, I, I want to know what I want to know which one it is. No, I'm not you tell telling. Me? No, not telling. Oh, damn not it. telling. So you're being your dad and I'm being you. Now we're role playing. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. No, okay. no, no. <laughs> okay. Thank you, so much. Thank you so much. Take care, Lenore. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Voice and Beyond. I hope you enjoyed it as now is an important time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up feeling empowered and ready to live your best life. If you know someone who will also be inspired by this episode, please be sure to copy and paste the link and share it with them. Or share it on social media and use the hashtag A Voice and Beyond. I promise you, I am committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one every week. And if you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts right now. I would also love to know what it is that you most enjoyed about this episode and what was your biggest takeaway. Please take care and I look forward to your company next time on the next episode of A Voice and Beyond.